Marriage is a gigantic topic. It's a gigantic topic in our culture. Uh, There are innumerable conversations about um, marriage, about what is it, who's in it, how many should be in it. Is it a thing? Should it be a thing? Should we care? Haven't we outgrown it? What does God say about it? Who cares what God says about it? There's, there's a million different conversations around this. And so, in that light, um, we've catered a lunch that we're just going to bring in here. And we're just going to be here for a couple days. Just kidding. Maxine would not let you eat in here. Um, but, so my goal is I'm going to try to address some things um, but I want to shoot, Haddon Robinson said in his book about preaching, uh, that you want to shoot a rifle rather than a shotgun. And uh, I don't always do that. And uh, so I appreciate your patience with me. Uh, but I want to demonstrate that marriage is mission critical to the kingdom of God in the world. That marriage is mission Critical to God's kingdom in the world. So would you stand as I read Genesis chapter 2, beginning at verse 18, and hear the word of God. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens, And brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked. And we're not ashamed. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we thank you for the beauty of this day, the beauty of your world. We thank you for the design and intention behind your creative acts. That throughout the world, we're able to see the heavens declare the glory of God. And yet, Lord, you have in your wisdom made us people in your image as a vibrant display of who you are. That image, though marred and messied by sin, remains. And for those of us who have been born again in Christ, it is being renewed day by day. From one glory to another. So would you further that in your people today? 
for those who remained, remain far from you and caught up with various things. We pray, God, that today would be the day of their liberation. That sin, Satan, and death would no longer hold sway over them, but that you would grant that they might come alive by faith in Christ. So, Father, I now pray that whatever proceeds from this mouth that is not of you would fall to the floor and remain unheard. For the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Lord Jesus, you said heaven and earth may pass away, but your word will never pass away. So, Lord, would you speak to us? Would you speak? Speak, Father. Your children are listening. Have mercy in the name of Christ. Amen. Marriage is mission critical to the kingdom of God, and so therefore, marriage isn't about you. I say this to, in my premarital counseling, I try to do it regularly. I try to make sure it's a point somewhere in my my homily. It can't be a sermon in a wedding. It has to be a homily. I don't know who made these words and these... Anyway. Uh, but that marriage isn't about you. And in fact, you foul it up when you try to make it about you. It is messy. It's ruined. It turns into, dangerously turns into a farce. If you enter into marriage believing it to be about you. The thing that will hollow out a marriage more quickly than anything else is selfishness, pride, self-centeredness. You go into this, which I'm going to define it in a second, as though it were there to serve you. And perhaps it's here where our culture and and just our sinful nature steers us that because we as a society have become unmoored as a boat from its slip floating about in the cultural streams, we believe that everything that exists is here for our self-realization, for our self-service, our self-ism, whatever is there is for me to somehow become, to be satisfied. We treat, therefore, we treat everything instrumentally. We treat creation instrumentally as though it were there to serve me and my ends. We treat the church instrumentally as though it were there to serve our preferences. And to give us the, the warm butterflies. And we instrumentally corrupt the most dear relationships we have, looking to those to serve us, to fill us. To make us feel a certain way. 
Dear ones, that is a concept of humanity that is a tree separated from its root. Marriage isn't about you. Ultimately, obviously, it's about you. Ultimately, it's not about you, just as your life is not ultimately about you. That you are made for the glory of God. Humanity in its first instance, as we see here in Genesis, Genesis, Genesis 1 and 2, chapters 1 and 2, I think is what I was trying to say. Here in chapters 1 and 2, we see the origin of God's creating men and women, male and female, in His image. But it is to demonstrate Him. We lose our way when we think that it's just about us. And that's one thing when, it, when it's just you on your own, but it not only is multipli- multiplied, it is exponentially grows the problem of selfism and selfishness when it's brought into the context of marriage. And so at the outset, I want to say that many of you have experienced exactly what I'm saying. You've experienced a, either you have perpetrated it or you have been a victim of it Or more likely, you've had some mixture of the two. As is the case when sinners say, I do. And so some of you have experience with marriage that has not gone well. And you're here on your second or third or maybe not marriage. My purpose this morning is not to heap coals on your head. To make you feel guilty about something you probably already feel guilty about. That's not my job today. If God convicts you and draws you to Jesus, put your trust in Him, the forgiver of sins. The restorer and renewer of our lives. Some of you are in marriages today. And you know it to be the case that they're not what they ought to be. Hopefully, as we process through the rest of this message, we might give you some some direction, some places to go. But it begins that marriage isn't about you. Over and over again, as we see in Genesis chapter 1, when God makes something, He says, that's good. Tov is the Hebrew word. Tov. Tov, tov, tov. And then we come to the creation of men and women in his image. And God says, very tov, very good. And that word tov, it it carries a obviously goodness as in moral goodness. But it can mean pleasant and beautiful, delightful, joy inducing. It can mean elements of rightly ordered and structured. So God makes men and women, he says, it's very good, it's very delightful, it's very pleasant, it's very ordered, it is as it ought to be. Male and female 
made in God's image. And as God designs marriage, here is your first clue. Marriage is mission critical to the kingdom of God because it's designed by God. It's designed by God. Now, put some pieces together real quick. It's designed by God for His glory and our good. Marriage is a picture of God's design, of His shaping, of His intentionality. But not only is your marriage today, the marriage that you are in, the marriage that you were in, the marriage that you might be in. Not only is it a picture or ought to be a picture of God's design, which is, I'm sure you've heard that. If you've been in church, you've heard that a number of times, maybe. But your marriage is also a prophetic play of the destiny of all things. You're caught. Your marriage is simultaneously pointing back to God's design and creation. And it's pointing ahead in a prophetic way, Christian, to the truth of what's ahead. It's a prophetic play. Marriage is a picture of God's design and creation's destiny given by God to extend his kingdom to the end of the earth. There's no way that Adam and Eve fulfill the mandate that God gives to them in Genesis chapter 1. Be fruitful and multiply. Rule the earth. Exercise dominion. Subdue the earth. You can't do that without the vehicle of marriage. At the very outset, Mission critical, right? God said, here's what you need to do. This is how you do it. It seems like a big deal. Am I wrong? You couldn't make more image-bearing worshipers who were going to fill the, or fill the world, honor God, extend the beauty and order of Eden's garden to the ends of the, the, ends of the earth. Well, that's not going to happen without Adam and without Eve. Together. Covenanted together. Relating to each other as husband and wife. Mission critical. God's design. Where he makes Adam first. God gives his command and his word to Adam first. So that Adam, upon the creation of Eve, after his side has been rent open and a rib has been removed, Eve is made from Adam. Adam would communicate God's word to her. That she would be a helper corresponding to him. Corresponding is, is, the, the word really means that they'd be face to face. That there would be one like Adam that would serve God's purposes with him. 
You could use a donkey, a cow, an ox maybe to plow your field. But Adam needed Eve to do the mission that God had given. He could not do it alone. After all of these tov, 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 good, 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 very good, we have this shocking, incisive remark in verse 18. It is not good that man should be alone. After all of the goods, it's not good. God makes humanity relational. And the highest relationship that humanity has is marriage. Marriage, according to God's design, is one man, one woman, designated so by their creator, covenanted together for life. This is the design of marriage. It's not good. And because marriage is mission critical, and because God has designed it that Adam would receive God's word, communicate it to Eve, and that they would partner together in the garden as he works the ground, as she serves to train up the young ones that are born so that the garden garden estate, if you will, would grow. And the beauty and the order would extend as they partner together for God's mission and God's work in the world. Mission critical, this is where, in the middle of this, is where Satan drops the atomic bomb of temptation right in the epicenter of marriage. So that that which is supposed to be the epicenter of creational blessings, that there, there's Eden. And then within Eden, you have the garden. And within the garden, you have Adam. And next to Adam, you have Eve. That this should be the very center of blessings that pour out from the garden. Reaching to the ends of the earth. Just like these four rivers that pour down the slopes of Eden. Filling the earth and, and providing water and nutrients and all the things that rivers do. So Adam's work and Eve's work to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth was meant to be an epicenter. I just am stuck on that word. With pushing out the blessings of God. As more and more image-bearing worshipers who are obeying God, living out His design and purpose in the world, as more and more of that happens, not only are rivers cascading down Eden slopes, but the spiritual blessings and the shaping and the beauty and the order of the Garden of Eden is meant to go to coast to coast, ends of the earth, north to south, east to west. And because of that significance, when the assassin Satan is looking to plunge his blade into God's good design, where does he land it? The beginning of chapter 3 tells us of the craftiness, the guile of the serpent. And he came to the woman. I don't think this was because there was any deficiency in Eve. But it was a disorder from where God had spoken to Adam. Satan speaks to Eve. 
He goes around the one who's been given the responsibility to cultivate and to work, to guard and to keep this garden temple so that he might prey upon Eve. God's good design is now a departure. As Adam buys into the serpent's rebellion. And as Adam, who is with her, stands in silence. And then takes the fruit himself. Knowing good and well what God had said. A departure from God's design. So not rather than being the epicenter of blessing, this union of Adam and Eve becomes the epicenter of covenantal curse. That everyone born in this line from natural generation would be a partaker of the sinful nature. We see it clearly by chapter 4 with Cain and Abel. That the rebellion and the departure of sin was not localized to Adam and Eve. But it overtopped the banks and flowed into the next generation. As Cain kills his brother, Abel. And we see it overtopping every generation. And as more and more people are born, greater and greater and greater and greater is the wickedness. Of the world. This departure becomes, extends down to us, where we have inherited the sinful nature, the, the sin of Adam, the guilt of Adam. It has been brought upon us so that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And yet, this, this design was not abandoned by God. One man, one woman for life. We see m- many mutations of that in the scriptures. And if I may say quickly, just because the Bible mentions something does not mean the Bible condones something. Just put that in your back pocket the next time it says that the scriptures condone polygamy. That you could have more than one wife. Well, Jacob had more than one wife. Just because the Bible says it happened does not anywhere say it's a good thing that it happened. Be able to discern between what is prescribed and what is described. So God continues to make more people. By the mechanism that he had chosen, men and women coming together, not always in marriage, not always perfectly. But this is mission critical to God's kingdom in the world. And we see it before sin enters in and we see it desperately after sin enters in. There's this curse that arises in Genesis chapter three, as Sage preached on last week. There's there's something I want to point out to you. That Satan bears a curse, and Adam bears a curse, and Eve bears pain. Because 
Satan's rebellion is willful. Adam's rebellion of silence and then taking, listening to his wife over God is willful in a way that's distinct from Eve. It doesn't mean that she's guiltless. But cursed are you, verse 14, to the serpent, to Satan. And then to Adam, he says, cursed is the ground because of you. In verse 17. Eve, he says, I will surely multiply your pain and childbirth and your desire will be contrary or for your husband. And he will rule over you. Marriage remains, but now it is corrupted and impacted by sin. But then in verse 15, right before that, we see that marriage remains mission critical because it's by means, by means of marriage and of men and women coming together and having children that the seed of the woman would come. Verse 15, I will put enmity or hostility between you, the serpent Satan, and the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So that there had to be more people and more people we have this children's book. It's like the garden, the cross, the curtain. I forgot the name of it. But, uh, but it has this picture of a family tree. And it says, uh, and babies have babies, and then babies have babies, and then babies have babies, and babies have babies. And generation after generation after generation after generation, this promise stood and stands. That by means of ordinary generation and then by the supernatural birth, of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the seed of the woman, born of a woman in the fullness of time, redemption would be accomplished where he would yield his life, the bruising upon his head, and but in yielding his life, he would crush Satan. Mission critical in marriage. But what about destiny? We've talked about design. We've talked about departure. What about destiny? That your marriage today finds its weight, its glory, its significance in God's design previous in creation. But Christian, more so even in the destiny that's ahead. So that as you live with each other, husbands, wives, as you live with each other, And I get it. All of the stuff there, all of the mundaneness, all of the ordinariness, all of the annoyances, all of the deep and unspeakable joys, all of the things that attend that day in and day out, that you are communicating something. You're communicating something about God's design. Either you're telling the truth about God's design or you're telling a lie about God's design, but you're communicating something in your life that goes for every person made in the image of God. How you conduct your life in marriage 
or in the perversion of marriage, not just in homosexual marriage, not just in polygamy, but in cohabitation and promiscuity, there it is, and sleeping around. All of these are perversion of what God gave and that as such, humanity is telling a lie about their creator. But there's a more subtle one. Those are open and wide open. And if you're stuck in there, please know when I say repent, it is an offering of grace. It is not condemnation upon your head. There's life in a different direction. And his name is Christ. He can restore you and make you alive together. Today. But there's a more subtle lie. When you, Christian, when you step into your marriage... And the bitterness and the resentment, when it mounts and mounts, when there's hidden sins, when there's infidelity, and yet you go about business as usual without repentance and without restoration, there's a lie there. You're not only communicating about design but you're communicating about the destiny of all things what do I mean by that Ephesians chapter 5 verses 22 through 33 I'm going to read it all wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church." Because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. Your marriage is mission critical because it's not about you. You're communicating something about design, about the true nature of the world and of the God who made it. But you're also prophetically demonstrating the world as it should be, as it will be. As you come together, you make a frame. Husband and wife coming together in covenant union and marriage. And through that frame, 
in a, in a foggy mirror type way. Because we're still, we're not all glory yet. But through that frame, we should be able to behold Jesus and his church. This is the end. And by end, I don't mean like, like a bad thing, but I mean the purpose The focus and the aim and the drive of marriage is that it would be here in all of our stuff, all living in this broken world, that that we would be like blossoms together, men and women in marriage, blossoming and saying, this is what the kingdom of God really looks like. This is how Jesus loves. This is how the church submits. And I'm not gonna buy, I'm not gonna take the hook of the cultural baggage here. The scripture says what the scripture says. And it's not about putting anybody in their place. But it is about you taking your place and delight before Jesus. By the end, by Revelation chapter 19, we have the destiny, the marriage feast of the Lamb. Where the full number of God's people are brought to bear in beauty and in glory. We're finally free. We've been freed from the power of sin. We've been freed from the penalty of sin, even now in Christ And these days we are not yet free from the presence of sin. But dear one, then we will be. And we, the church, will be presented to Christ, the groom. And there will be a feast at the end of the age. It says, let us rejoice and be glad, Revelation 19, 7, and give glory to him. Because the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has prepared herself. You tell a story of the world by the way you make breakfast. You communicate the nature of redemption when you're folding the clothes. It doesn't feel like it. We have clothes for days. If y'all need practice, just let me know. But what I want you to see is that in that ordinary mundane stuff, a housework, or when you're having to do the hard work of disciplining your children in a way that honors God, not as a vent for your wrath, but a way that shepherds their heart toward their Creator and their Savior, Jesus. That you're doing things that communicate the true nature of the world as it is supposed to be and the true nature of things as they will be. It matters. Your family, your marriage matters eternally. So marriage is mission critical to the kingdom of God because you communicate it as a picture of the design of God 
And it is a prophetic play. By play, I mean like a play, like a Shakespeare play. But you're not faking it, but you're pointing to something behind the scenes. As you forgive one another in uncharacteristic ways, as your home has the aroma of peace to people that come in rather than criticism and judgment and bitterness, as you train your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, as you teach them this is what the world is like, God has made the heavens and the earth, Jesus is Lord of all and you must follow Him, dear one. You're telling a story of the real world. In a field of lies. If you and your marriages are the blossoms of the wildflowers, all of the counterfeits are all the weeds. Dandelions that pop up like this. And maybe your call today isn't to go weeding in your yard. As Trace trained your kids, they can go do it. But maybe your job is as you surrender together to Jesus, or maybe afresh today, or maybe for the first time today, that you see the blossom of your marriage become everything that God would have it to be, that it might tell the truth of the world to come. So here are a few applications. I know we're, you're fine, you're fine. A few applications. As I've said, it's not about putting you in your place. The injunction there in chapter 3 about women having a contrary will and men ruling over, it's a demonstration of the brokenness that infects marriage. That the rulership or the headness of men would try to be coup, jumped over by women, women in their homes, and that men would respond by domineering. We've seen both in history. You've probably experienced some version of both in your life, and both in, inject your marriage, inject this world with brokenness and horror that does not communicate Christ. But we are to live like a prophetic play of the consummation of all things, where the church delights in Christ, and Christ lovingly leads His people. Submission and leading showcase the nature of Christ in His church. Secondly, God's design is that marriage thrives in the building of the world. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, subdue it, God told Adam. What what does that look like in your marriage? What are you building together? Some of y'all like literally build stuff together. That's not what I'm referring to. Are you building something together? Don't stop with the design, but consider the destiny. If marriage is mission critical for God's kingdom in the world, invest your marriage in building God's kingdom together today. It remains a seedbed. 
It remains a seedbed for kingdom growth. Both as you display the goodness and glory of God, and as you teach your children or the people in your home, invest your life together to see one another grow up in sanctification. See one another sacrifice for the sake of another. And that it might be a place that you're able to extend hospitality to those who are far from God and they might see the difference. Third, if you're married, examine your marriage. Does it tell the truth of God's design for marriage and God's destiny for marriage? Does it tell the truth? Do you tell the truth? The first marriage, Adam and Eve in their departure condemns But it is in the second marriage, Christ and his church, that redemption and glory is found. If you're unmarried for whatever reason, consider how the design and destiny of marriage still shapes your life. Either in positive ways, the home that you grew up in and your aspirations for marriage, or some of the negative ways that you might learn by what has happened in your life. Fourthly, finally, live out God's design and destiny for your marriage by committing right now. Right now. Husband, wife, I pray you're together in here. Take your places before God. Take your places. Nobody's putting you in your place. Don't you walk away and say, Jacob's trying to put me in my place. Trying to hold me down. I'm saying that you will offer yourself willingly to Christ as a wife and as a husband and let him put you where he would have you. Take your place leading, loving, submitting and take one step toward building his kingdom together. Maybe that's committing to pray together for one another every day this week. You're going to carve out the time this afternoon. You're going to sit down and say, you know, we haven't been praying together other than Lord bless my Chick-fil-A. That doesn't count. Someone talking about maybe it's at the beginning of the day. Maybe it's at the end of the day. Maybe your schedules are so weird that you have to have a phone call or something. But block out a time where you pray together. Maybe that looks like sacrificing something to pursue Jesus more vigorously. Consider rather than sitting down and whatever you do. If you veg watching a TV show, spend that time for a, for a season, for a week or two in pursuing Christ. Rather than Netflix or Amazon Prime, whatever you, whatever you watch, the football game, guys, pursue your wife in Christ. Maybe it's fasting from food for a day and saying, for those times... We're going to pray for our marriage. We're going to pray for our home. We're going to pray that we might be leveraged together for God's kingdom. Pray for the people that are living around you. They might know Jesus through you. Maybe that's reordering your budget. As you try to do something for the kingdom of God together, try to make this step of yielding to Christ. Maybe it's yielding. I mean, it's, it's reordering your budget for a new level of generosity. A greater ability to give to your church, but to others. Maybe that looks like inviting that neighbor or family across the street or next door over for dinner. 
Maybe have a cookout in your backyard. But all of these things are part of the prophetic play. Where you're communicating as light in a lost world what the world really is and where the world is really going. What's your step? What's your step to live as a prophetic play together of the world to come? Maybe that's what you need to pray about tonight before you go to bed. What's our step? It doesn't have to be you have to do the whole thing. Just pick one. Between design, destiny, corruption, and redemption, you live this life, you individually and in your marriage. You're here, you're now. The question is, do you know? Are you telling the truth about the world to come? Are you still living in your marriage and still living in your life as though you are the center of it? Are you still serving yourself with your time? Are you still serving yourself with your budget? Are you still serving yourself in the way that you approach church and the way you approach work? And if any of that is beginning to cut a little bit, it might be a wound opening up by the conviction of God that you, ought, you look not to mend yourself, but you say, Jesus, come in and remedy my life. Take a step today. So you think about your marriage and you think about your life. To put Jesus in his rightful place. He's Lord of your life and he's Lord of your marriage. He's Lord of Lords, dear ones. May we live like he's the Lord of our marriages. Perhaps today you are so bound from the brokenness of marriage past. Or maybe in the despair of the moment where you feel like your marriage is falling apart. Maybe it's already fallen. Maybe right now you're beginning to realize how far outside of God's design you are. And you're paying for it. And joylessness and purposelessness. Do you know that you don't have to leave here like that? Take the step of faith and respond to Jesus. The beautiful thing about Christ is that he extends himself to all of us today. Those who have been born again who are following Jesus, you still need the grace of God. My marriage still needs the grace of God. Your marriage still needs the grace of God. But to you who are broken and you're despairing today and you don't think that this is for you. God's not yours and you're not his. You've been following your own way. You don't have to leave here that way today. Respond as Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. That rest is soul rest. That rest is salvation rest. He's able to rescue you because he's died for you. Would you come? Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls. Would you call? Don't live for yourself. Live for the glory of God. Find life in Christ.
It's not God who has separated himself from you. It's you who've separated yourself from God. But today is the day of salvation. Don't close your ears. Don't harden your heart. Come to Christ. You need, you must respond. If that's you today, if you're saying, I haven't trusted Jesus, I haven't, I haven't repented, I haven't believed upon him, but I want to follow Christ. I'll be up here. Sage will be up here. We would love to pray with you. I would love to talk to you about that. If this is too whatever, reach out to me. Don't let the day go by, though. Come to Christ. If you need to recommit yourself in your marriage, maybe together today, I want to encourage you, these steps are open. There's nothing magical up here. But you take that step to, to get today together, it's the beginning of the steps the Lord will lead you into. So respond. As the Lord leads, respond. You can't, you can't stay the same. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that you are patient. That you are able to save to the uttermost. Would the beauty of your gospel be driven into our homes, into our hearts, into our lives? Father, if there are some who need to respond, who are that you're drawing today, Lord, please, please let them come. Let them t- turn to Christ in faith and find new life, to be forgiven and cleansed and renewed. Would they know that this offer is for them? I pray for our marriages where Satan would blow it up, and he's blown up so many. Even some in this room have experienced that. I pray, God, for the couples, the the men and women that are in marriage here together today, some who are approaching marriage, engaged. Would you captivate their heart that they would recommit that Jesus would be Lord of their marriage, that you would set us in our place, leading, loving, submitting, that Jesus would be demonstrated in every one of our lives, in every one of our homes. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.